The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter with Mansion Global. Today with me are Matt Robinson and Grant Ludwig, managing partners at the agency in Bend, Oregon. Thanks so much for being here, Matt and Grant. Thank you, Leslie. We're yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so we are going to talk about some creative ways to get more space at home, whether without necessarily going through a long and extensive renovation process. But to start us off, Grant, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the housing market in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, sure thing. Um, excited to be on here. Don't know where everybody's tuning in from, but uh, if you're not familiar with Bend, Oregon, we are kind of smack dab in the middle of Oregon or Oregon, if some of you probably pronounce it that way in other parts of the country. And for a little context, uh, our population has effectively doubled in the last 20 years, kind of since the turn of the century. So which is great for real estate, right? For real estate professionals and helping people buy and sell homes. But um, one issue that has cropped up is that uh, we have this incredible demand and a lack of supply. And, and it's, that's created by uh, really two factors, um, both forest land and then you know, federally owned BLM land. So we don't have a lot of room to expand physically in our region. Um, and yet we're just this inherently desirable spot to be. So uh, you've seen home values uh, increase uh, dramatically, well outpacing the national average in the run-up from the end of the last recession until just about last year. Um, we saw the peak in our market in April of 2022. And in the last 12 months, I guess we're in April of 2023, um, we've experienced what much of the rest of the country has experienced, you know, rising interest rates, you know, the economic climate the way it is. We've seen our prices soften somewhere on the order of 10 to 15%. Um, but that being said, we still have quite a bit of demand, uh, not a lot of supply, um, and, just a, and just a little bit of apprehension because mainly of interest rates. You have sellers that are or owners that have these two and a half, three and a half percent interest rates, uh, unwilling to sell, move up, uh, and buyers who are waiting for rates to come down. But we're hearing good news. I mean, obviously, you're seeing interest rates start to tick down a little bit. If we can get those interest rates, probably below five and a half, we think that real estate will really move here again in Central Oregon. Interesting. So obviously that's a situation, the supply and demand situation is happening all over the world and, you know, especially in the U.S. But I wanted to ask you all a little bit about accessory dwelling units, which is adding a another unit to your home. Um, and Matt, I wanted to start with you. Can you give us, tell us a little bit between the difference uh, what the difference is between a full guest house and maybe a smaller accessory building, and then what some of the issues are around creating these new spaces. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, obviously, we're here in Oregon, and we're in kind of rural central Oregon, but Oregon has some of the strictest land use laws in the country. And 
However, you know, in Ben specifically, we have experienced a huge, uh, this uptick in pricing has caused a huge lack of affordable housing. We are a tourism economy. And so we need that workforce housing because of that, the city has made some aggressive changes to increase density. One of those being, um, reducing what we call SDC fees for ADUs. And so they have within the city limits made it much more, um, feasible to build these accessory dwelling units because they want to see uh, just, again, more density and more options for this workforce housing or more affordable housing. Uh, the, the, we, we are a rural kind of farming community, and so we have a lot of housing outside of the city limits, um, but still within Deschutes County. And as of right now, any, any of those tax lots outside of the city limits are not allowed to have two dwelling units within, within a single tax lot. Um, there are some, there's some state legislature that may change that in the coming years. And we can talk about that later, but, um, you know, there, there is, I don't necessarily want to always refer to them as additional dwelling units because nowadays they can just be additional units that are used for other purposes. And, you know, there, there is a difference in our, uh, jurisdiction. They look at an additional dwelling unit as having a full, uh, essentially a full kitchen. And that, that really comes down to a range and an oven. And so there is a difference in the eyes of our city and county uh, between a detached or even attached above the garage structure with a full kitchen versus one that may just have a, you know, a, a kitchenette, let's call it with, you can have a, a sink and a refrigerator, but no range oven. Maybe it's just a little cooktop convention oven that you utilize. That's looked at differently and not assessed uh, with the same SDCs and the same permit uh, process that you have to go to for, for an actual ADU that is, you know, that does have that full kitchen facility. Interesting. So the kitchen is the key to the different kinds of fees. Interesting. Um, so since creating these full guest houses can be expensive and time consuming, what would you say is the number one way to add another unit to your property? And Grant, why don't we start with you? Sure. Yeah. Well, Matt alluded to it uh, I, in the answer to the last question. If you can utilize existing uh, structures, specifically foundational structures, so like a garage, whether you're converting a garage or going up over the garage, uh, you're going to save. You're going to save time. You're going to save money. You're going to keep your utilities closer to where you need them to be so you don't have to run them along distances, which is going to be a huge cost savings. Um, you know, there, it's interesting. And I, I am kind of chuckling at the, at the name of this, uh, are the, are the, what are the hacks for making your home bigger? Um, we've actually seen, and Matt mentioned this too, we've seen a push against bigger really towards more flex space. So I actually think that one of the, one of the best hacks or workarounds is if you have that oversized bonus room or uh, in certain areas you have a, a finished or even unfinished basement, anything you can do to utilize space that's already there and just being underutilized or not appropriately utilized, that's going to be your, your most affordable and efficient way to create an additional dwelling unit um, for whatever purpose you want it for. Gotcha. And are there any restrictions around doing that, around creating a space that with that has the foundations already 
in place or is that because it's already in place, it's pretty much a go ahead? You know, I can take that. I would say the only restriction is that you would want to make sure that you are up to the city and or county code when you're doing those improvements. And it is wise, especially for resale value to to go through the permitting process to have that done. And so you're you would add value to your home. Your property taxes would increase. But I, 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 in my opinion, the expense of going through that process and even let's call it the hassle of going through that process is worth the value that you're going to add to your property by by creating that space in a you know professional craftsmanship uh, just a professional process versus just kind of a makeshift you know have your buddy come over and help you help you do it without permits you know you're not really it, it scares buyers when they see this space that hasn't gone through any sort of permitting process and you're including it in the square foot when you're trying square footage when you're trying to resell the property got it so um, I think this is an important point to elucidate on, which is zoning laws and codes really differ wildly from state to state and even from community to community. And I was hoping that you could touch a little bit on that, Grant. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can certainly touch on it here in Oregon. And, uh, and you know, we, we hear rumblings about kind of how we compare to other states. But um, so in Oregon, we are, at least we think we are, probably one of the most state controlled um, with our land use laws are, are, are there's more state level control in our land use laws than other states. So uh, we as municipalities don't have as much leeway in kind of how we want to grow and develop um, as, as it pertains to our zoning laws. So for example, in Oregon, um, we've already talked about how we've seen this growth and we have this push for more density whether or not we like it, we have this push for more density from the state level. So what we've seen in the zoning laws is uh, it's good for ADUs, right? They've really relaxed policy and code and permitting on creating ADUs. Now there's limits to that. And this is where municipalities have uh, a say in kind of how ADUs are implemented. So for example, here in Bend, the largest square footage of an approved ADU is 600 square feet. But if you go to Portland, uh, they actually have kind of a, a double metric there, uh, kind of an either or, but it's a lesser than. And so the largest that a ADU can get to be is 800 square feet. Um, so cities do have a little bit of autonomy in kind of how they implement it. But the state has said, uh, if you have a lot that is large enough, uh, which here is at least 6,000 square feet, um, that that is eligible for an ADU. Now, Beyond just the states and the cities, the next layer of governance or the um, of oversight, which is probably the most onerous, Leslie, it are uh, HOAs. So if you're in a if you're in a community that has a homeowners association, those bylaws uh, might flat out say that each lot can only have one home, no accessory dwelling unit. So even if they're uh, allowed by the state or allowed by the city based on the size of your lot, the location of your lot, if a homeowners association says no you're not going to be able to create one in that community. Gotcha. I'm sure that that 
it goes for everywhere in the U.S. Um, you know, I know that oh, yeah. HOAs have a lot of power. And I also wanted to just note, uh, you know, on my side of the U.S., I'm in based in New York City, and the Hamptons and Long Island are both really known for having strict zoning as well. And there, people sometimes put a pool house or an artist studio, and it might not have any plumbing, not a bathroom even, although that would depend on the specific situation. And that can be far easier than to build a full guest house with plumbing. And I've also heard like in places like Miami, new dwellings um, or new uh, attachments and units can be added with, through a breezeway, which is a, you know, a, a sort of tenuous connection to the home, but because it's connected, it's not considered a guest house. And so those are just a, another few examples of things that I've read about um, other ways to, to add space. Um, and before I ask our next question, I just wanted to remind our participants and viewers that you can ask questions in the chat. Please feel free and we'll get to those at the end of the conversation. Um, and so I also wanted to talk about tiny houses. I know that tiny houses are one way to add some space and um, Matt, I hoped you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we've seen a trend over the past five to 10 years, uh, maybe longer than that, that that homes over the past 50 years, as they've become bigger and bigger and bigger, and we've seen these mansions, now we're kind of reverting the other direction. You're seeing more efficient use of space and homes getting actually smaller. You're saving on energy costs, which have gone up, you know, um, just being a more intimate space and, and just better utilizing the space. Uh, tiny homes in particular, if we're just talking about ADUs, as Grant referred to, we're limited to 600 square feet. So these are essentially tiny homes that we're talking about. Now, if we want to go outside of um, ADUs, Bend in particular has recently adopted a cottage community code, which supports the building of these uh, homes. And I'm not entirely sure. I want to say they're maybe a thousand square feet or less, but then they ease up on parking restrictions and um, certain other uh, what, would, what would typically be required in a residential development here in, in Bend, which can be very expensive. And we're talking sidewalks and parking. They have essentially waived those to accommodate tiny houses. And there's a phenomenal developer here in town, um, I believe by the name of Hiatus, that's I think on their fourth project of building these tiny homes. And this is really kind of off the subject of adding to your, your property, but um, it's definitely the case that these, these efficient spaces and, uh, and what also allows for more affordable housing has become very popular uh, here in our state and, and I'm sure around the country. Hey Matt, I'll I'll piggyback on that just because I want to I want to make sure we're defining it correctly. So what Matt's talking about are, are these cottage communities. So tiny homes, as we define them, though, are actually homes that you see that are built on a single axle chassis and are towable. So as and wow. the interesting thing about that is they are not governed the same way, or per, I should say permitted the same way that an ADU or a cottage community is permitted It actually get their permitting through the Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, now, there are still rules around those. Uh, for example, they they can be no larger than 400 square feet um, and they have to be built on a single axle chassis. Uh, but they basically are looked at like what they're a, a recreational park vehicle. But they're any they're anything but your cousin Eddie's motorhome from Christmas vacation. Right. I mean, these things look like exactly like a cottage that Matt would just be talking about the way that they're sided with the windows and interiors are super well thought out and creative. Um, but they're mobile. 
Um, and that's a big distinction because it's not going to add, add to your tax burden. Um, it still allows for some flex space, additional space for kind of whoever you want it for, need it for. Um, but then there's downsides too, because they are mobile. And again, you're going to run into the same obstacles if you're in an HOA community, if you're, you know, are you on a lot that can accommodate it? But if you, but if you can check the boxes, uh, there are manufacturers of these tiny homes for sure all over the West, not as, not as confident that they're, you know, on the East coast, but I would imagine they would be. And, uh, I'd call that, you know, today, probably the biggest kind of hack or workaround for folks, uh, looking to add space. Yeah, the efficiency in, in a tiny house is really something to behold. I mean, almost bolt-like. Um, but I did want to point out that the tax burden could change from state to state. I know that Oregon does not have taxes on personal property, but about 25 states in the union do. So I live, I also have a house in Connecticut and we pay taxes on our car, annual taxes on our car for personal property. So that does make a difference. It could potentially make a difference. Yeah, so that's a good point point that out. Um, but uh, we do have a question from one of our audience members, and this was a question I was going to get to as well, and that is about short-term rentals and, and or Airbnbs. Are there separate limitations or restrictions for these, or are, you, are people able to rent these out? Um, Matt, why don't we start with you? Absolutely, and that's, that's a great question, incredibly relevant here within the city of Bend. Um, so short-term rentals have been a major talking point over the past five years. And our city council passed um, pretty restrictive rules on, so our short-term rental permits used to run with the home and there weren't really any restrictions to getting one. Um, they passed a law that restricted uh, the density to, if there was a short-term rental within 250, a 250 foot radius, you couldn't, they wouldn't issue any new permits within that radius. They just expanded that to a 500 foot radius. And so within our popular tourism zones, which is, you know, downtown, this old mill area, kind of the old bend logging community around the river and, and all the amenities, uh, that's pretty much saturated. You cannot get a new permit. So it's very, very difficult to find a short-term rental here in town. However, um, there is an exception with ADUs. If you have an ADU on your property, and the main home is your primary residence, you can get a permit for that ADU to short-term rental that without, with very little restrictions. Even if there's a short-term rental permit right next to you, you're allowed to, to, uh, to rent out your ADU. And I think the thought process there is there was a lot of noise complaints and parking complaints about these areas where there, where there used to be a high density of rentals. And they figure if you're living in the house, you're going to be much more um, conscious of, you know, college kids partying and renting it out or throwing yeah, trash on, if you will <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah interesting thank you um so we touched on this a little bit but how does one of these additions potentially affect the resale value of the home grant why don't we start with you on that yeah sure well i, I think there's huge upside for sellers that are able to and, and i should qualify that by saying for, for ADUs that are done well, that are well thought out, that, you know, you don't got to go super high end, but if, if, if they're at least middle of the road quality, but cleverly and creatively laid out and thought out, you have, you have really, really big upside. And, and, you know, the reason is you, I mean, the biggest reason is they can be an income generator. And I think for most people, uh, 
that is the number one motivation is uh, looking for, you know, a secondary, probably in most cases, secondary income stream to whatever other career uh, the homeowner might have. And um, so if you're an investor looking at how an investment would cash flow, uh, or if you're a buyer that is looking for that additional space for a family member or some sort of, you know, live work situation, either way, you're going to add uh, a pretty substantial amount of value uh, to this property. Um, and, and I should say, if you're getting financing on that as a buyer, uh, a lender is able to look at, say, that rental income on that ADU um, and offset you know, your debt to income ratios and, and allow you to be able to, to afford more. You, you, as a buyer, if you're conservative, you can, you can think about rental income. Here in Bend, a 600 square foot ADU in most areas around town is going to rent for anywhere between $1,500 to over $2,000 a month. That's a huge chunk of a person's mortgage right there. And so, uh, yeah. A ton of value. Now it's case by case, depending on the property, Leslie, but, but the blanket statement is lots of value add. Yeah. And if I might add on that really quickly, besides having a little passive income, you know, those additional spaces appeal to a vast array of, uh, you know, hobbies and interests and buyers. I mean, I, there's very few buyers out there that wouldn't want an additional space. And if they're not going to use it for, you know, an aging parent or additional income, you know, maybe they do have hobbies and they want a music studio or they have young kids at home and they want an, a private office um, because they're working from home, maybe forced to work from home. You know, maybe it's a maybe it's a, a workout room, an exercise room, a meditation room, a quilting room. Uh, you know, there's all there. You can use them for whatever your heart, your heart's content. So um, it, it, it definitely adds a tremendous amount of value. And what we've seen here, I would say that the expense to build one of these, um, ADUs, uh, you, you would, in most cases here in town, you're going to make more than what it would cost for you to build that on your property. Right. Well, maybe it can be a space for you guys to rehearse with your band. You know, yeah. It's funny that we both have guitars behind us, but I play a little bit. What neither one of us are that good at musicians. <laughs> hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> I also wanted to ask if there are any disadvantages to creating this kind of space, or if there are uh, circumstances where you really would want to go for a full accessory dwelling unit with a kitchen and and the the full nine yards. And Grant, why don't we start with you? what do they say? More money, more problems, something like that. I mean, that's, that's basically the biggest disadvantage is you're adding square footage. You're adding, if you're adding other, you know, household appliances, like an, like a secondary kitchen, you have, you know, more headaches with things that break down and, and need to be fixed. And if you have renters in there, you know, uh, many of us know kind of the challenge of that sometimes of managing renters. So sure there's disadvantages or there's potential disadvantages. You have a higher property tax burden. So all those things need to be considered, but uh, I would venture to guess that in, you know, the vast majority of these cases, if you're kind of weighing pros and cons, those those disadvantages are, are not going to come to the level of the of the advantages and the and the potential kind of gain that you're going to get. But there are valid things to think about uh, and consider before you would move forward on on adding that onto your property. Mm hmm. And are there any reasons why someone would go for the full 
ADU as opposed to the, the smaller version? Matt, why don't you take that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to be much more rentable. If you are, uh, if your goal is to get that passive income or utilize as a short-term rental, it's going to be much more attractive if you have full um, kitchen, uh, you know, uh, accommodations essentially. And, and so I think the, the more robust it is, I mean, many of them are studios, but some of them have living areas with a, you know, a separate bedroom. Um, and, and yeah, if you have that range oven, if you have the full size refrigerator, um, if you have that full kitchen, it is going to be much more appealing for people to come stay for a week or sometimes even a month or, or more, you know, they're also more attractive as long-term rentals, which are, which are lower maintenance. You're not having to turn over and having to clean them all the time and, and repair damage that might be done from these tenants that are coming in and out. So it also makes it much more attractive as long-term rentals. Right. Is there a difference in the square footage that's allowed for a, a, an, an extra unit with a kitchen as opposed to without? No, there's not. Well, well, believe it or not, I would say, I mean, if we're talking about kind of hacks workarounds, if you're going to apply for a, an official ADU here in Bend, let's say, you're going to be limited to 600 square feet. But Leslie, you brought up a point about in the Hamptons and other areas, you know, maybe building a pool house uh, or something like that. So it, what, and, and this is actually a perfect example in the county, maybe not in the city as much, especially because of the size and space of lots. But if you have, let's say, a shop or a barn and you want to finish out, say, the, the second level of it or the front corner of it, um, you're going to see spaces that are much larger than that 600 square feet when people kind of go, go rogue or not go through the, the proper channels of going and getting things permitted. Then when you're just going straight to the city, getting all the right permits, getting all the right documentation and building that 600 square foot uh, ADU. But so, so, I mean, you see various things, but I actually think that it's the, the non-permitted uh, kind of rogue part of this uh, discussion that you're going to see bigger square footages by and large than the, than the 600 square foot maximum on permitted ADUs. Yeah, let me add, that's a great point, Grant. And I would say I wasn't really, I was focusing on ADUs, but if you are converting a space and you actually don't need it to be a full additional dwelling unit, and let's use the example uh, that Grant used, whether it's a shop or a garage, and you're building above it and finishing that space, you're really unlimited. If you're, if you're even if you go through the permitting process, but you're getting it permitted as a bonus room um, or, you know, a fitness room with a little kitchenette, you're, you're not restricted uh, to the square footage. That could be a 2,000 square foot addition. Um, and as long as it's not, you know, an ADU, but you're using it for alternative purposes, there's no restrictions on square footage. Interesting. That's a good distinction. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, Matt, you did mention a few, there is some legislation potentially coming down to change or make this process a little easier. Can you talk a little bit about that? I will. I think Grant's actually a little more, a little more knowledgeable on this subject, but um, we, we've heard kind of uh, mixed statuses of where we're at with our local legislature. My understanding is that the state is working on adopting um, these rules for ADUs on rural properties that then the counties can um, take those and make them more restrictive or adopt their exact, you know, the exact policies that the state adopted. And we're, we're just kind of waiting for the state level at this point. 
Um, but there are going to be, there's this, there still will be restrictions. Grant, you're pretty familiar with what those will be. But, uh, you know, when that does happen, I think it's a, a when, not if. Uh, it'll add tremendous value to our, our, our rural properties, of which we have many, and they're very, very valuable already outside of the city limits. But Grant, can you speak a little more to kind of the nuances we've heard with uh, what, what that's going to look like? Yeah, so uh, pretty similar uh, to the cities in that you're still going to have square footage restrictions. It's not going to be as small as 600 square feet. Uh, we're, we're anticipating somewhere kind of in the 800 to 1,000 square foot range. But the big, the big distinction here is going to be the size of your property. So the, the unincorporated areas in this state are going to look and say, if you have, it can't just be that you're outside the city limits. It's going to have to be that you are at least somewhere between a, like a five to 10 acre minimum property. Um, and again, as Matt said, each county might end up dialing that back. They can't, they can't make it, they can make it more restrictive, not less restrictive. Um, and then there's going to be a proximity piece as far as how close this unit has to be to the main house. And the reason for that, at least one of the major reasons for that is when you're talking about being outside a city property, you're going to be on septic systems. You're not going to be on a city sewer system. Uh, and what the... Uh, governing bodies would like to see is if you can utilize the same and existing septic system that is going to be on a property and not have to add a secondary system. Uh, the least amount of putting tanks underground and, you know, digging leach fields and drain fields, the better. So um, we're looking at it being, I think it's somewhere between 50 and a hundred feet and no further than that away from the main residence. So we're excited about it. There's a lot, there's thousands, Leslie, in our county, and I'm sure this is true of many counties around the country. There are thousands of properties that have already, you know, created their property to have an, an ADU, so to speak. Not permitted, not legal, uh, but there ain't, there's an ADU police going out and finding people for this, you know. So everybody's kind of doing it right under the government's nose, but it's not a big deal. Well, it's going to feel a lot better when it is permitted and legal and everybody can kind of take a deep breath and not feel like you're, you know, hiding something. So we're excited about that to, to come down the line and be implemented here in our state. And I'm sure other states are looking at that, at that as well. Amazing. Well, we're about out of time, but I want to thank you both for being here. It's been great to talk to you, Matt and Grant. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Please Thanks, join everybody. us again. Thanks, Leslie. Happy Good Friday out there. Indeed, indeed. And please join us again on Monday when Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levinson discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thank you so much for listening and take care. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.